Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Welcome, Seekers, to episode 45 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. We've got a few shout-outs this week. One is to Jeff Rowe, the other is to Fawn, to Dan, and to Lois. All right. Shout-out to all you, all of you, and uh, I, I notice that we're gathering listeners around the world. And we that's are wonderful. Last episode was number forty-four. I think I said forty-six <laughs> on the episode, but last episode was number forty-four, and it was on fear. And we discussed, among other things, how society is manipulated with fear tactics for profit, and uh, you know, for power, and how it develops hate and war, even promote, you know, even to promote religion. Yes. And uh, this episode, we're going to discuss what might be considered the biggest single fear of mankind: death. Death. And the customs and traditions surrounding death, funerals, and such of that. Okay, so in this segment, we're going to answer the question, why are we so afraid of death and afraid of the unknown? Well, I think it's because it is the unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, we just don't know about death. And, well, it's, you know, and it's it's scary. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a it scary really thing. There are a lot of things we cannot control, but we all know that you 100% have no control over your mm-hmm. death. There's, you don't know when or how. And so. I think sometimes we connect that we die at a certain time because uh, we've made mistakes. Yeah. The death associated with mm-hmm. mistakes. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying that. Okay. So I want to give you guys a few statistics. One out of every one people dies. <laughs> yeah, we we're supposed to get used worldwide. to worldwide. <laughs> worldwide. That's that's not just in America <laughs> or Arkansas. <laughs> actually, approximately two people die every second worldwide, and four people are born. A hundred and five people die every minute, and two hundred and fifty people are born. 6,316 deaths per hour, 15,000 births, 151,600 deaths per day, 360,000 births, 55.3 million people die every year, and 131.4 million people are born. That's from ecology.com. Okay. So, so in, in the, the one minute? Mm-hmm. It took to read those statistics, 105 people died worldwide right then. Wow. So if we remove the religious, spiritual, and emotional aspects of death, it's pretty much just a biological phenomenon. We are a living organism. 
and living organisms come and go in cycles. Death is as natural a process as birth. Granted, it's much less anticipated in most cases. <laughs> well, very positively true. anticipated yeah. anyway on a positive <laughs> note. I was going to say, I very seldom <laughs> see people preparing for a death with the same excitement that you do. Right. You know, a new life coming into the world. Yeah. What if it's that rich uncle? Well, no, I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's silly. I'm, we're, we're being serious here. Okay. You know, some are probably really uncomfortable with the topic of this episode. So why are we so squeamish and reluctant to talk about something that plays such a prominent role in life itself? Well, again, it's the unknown. Mm-hmm. And, and we just, you know, I guess we gave those statistics to show it, it's as common as life. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, uh, you know, it, it's as common as anything else that goes on in life. Well, to lessen the, the morbidity of our, is morbidity a word? <laughs> Sounds good to me. The morbidness. (laughs) Okay, to lessen the morbidity of our topic, consider of the 150,000 people who die worldwide each day, about two-thirds or 100,000 of those people die to age-related complications. Did you know that? I did not. I did not. Now, that's worldwide. In the U.S. and other uh, developed countries, about 90% of the daily deaths are age-related. You know, I have to add a little bit of lightness to this. Okay. There's a joke that's been going around social media, and it says something to the effect of all of these fitness addict vegan people are going to be so, f- are going to look so foolish in 40 years lying there dying of nothing. <laughs> They're dying of nothing. Yeah, that's, that kind of goes with the age related thing, does it? <laughs> okay, so many people deal with death by, you know, not dealing with it. Just don't talk about it, don't think about it. Do you think that this lessens or increases that type of person's anxiety over death? Being one of those people, yeah. I you know, for a long time, I can say it just increased my anxiety. To not talk about to it? To not talk about yeah, it. Just yeah, just don't, don't approach the subject. We don't talk about yeah. that. We're mm-hmm. not going to, you know. We're... I think it's been strange for me because I've always been one of those people who was really open talking about it and... To sound a little bit morbid, interested in the whole funerary process and how things go along and things like that. So coming in contact with people who just don't want to talk about the inevitable was kind of weird to me. Well, I can talk about it in concept, but I don't want to bring it home for anyone I know. Like, I don't want to talk about it specifically. You don't want to talk about me dying and leaving you all those millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, millions? No, I'm just kidding. Of debt? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of debt. <laughs> so, uh, is it? Um, It's me this time. Okay, yeah, usually I'm the one when it comes to me, I'm not prepared. Okay. Uh, yeah, I completely lost my place. Well, some have said death doesn't concern me. It's the process of dying. Do y'all think that's a legitimate <laughs> statement? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, once you're there... Well, I mean, You're really, there. yeah, if, do you, if you could go, everyone wants to go in their sleep, right? Just go to sleep and yeah. not, that you hear that's, everyone say that. Nobody wants to die those excruciating, long. That's my thing. I, I have a little bit of a fear of a long, drawn-out illness mm-hmm. that ends in death. I would much rather just go to sleep and not wake up. But we all know that. That doesn't always. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's yeah. throwing a dart at a board. It I is. mean, you know, well, we don't even get that much odds, do we? No. Because <laughs> we could add some accuracy to the dart, maybe. So, uh, I think it was Clint Eastwood in one of his movies that said uh, there was a guy that was dying there and said, "I don't know if I can die." He said, "Oh, dying's easy. It's living that's hard." 
that. And that is a good, you know, yeah. that's kind of a that's kind of a way to look at it. So, how does one come to terms with their own mortality, the brevity of life? How do you come to terms with that? Do you, certainly, not just not thinking about it, it's not going to make it go away. No. You know, you know, I have struggled with this in the past right. and I, mm-hmm. but one of the things you said to me, dad, when we, when I was really struggling is, and, and it may sound harsh, but it really made me take a second. He said, do you think, cause you know, I, I worry about my kids if something yeah. were to happen. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you think they're not going to be okay? Do you, you know, he said, they're going to be sad, but they're going to be okay. And I realized that. I was making myself so important uh, that in a going, way. Oh, well, you, you pointed out I didn't have to yeah, say it. Yeah, but then, I was. I? That I, we, I felt like no one part, could go on without that's, me. Didn't we cover sure. some of this in our ego we episode? Did. We did. That our but ego that is so point, great that we really think, that what, is what, the, what is my family? The mm. world will not go on with that. Another bag of trash will never get hauled. Right. For me, a lot of it was Eckhart Tolle had a quote in one of his writings that was, I can survive all but one thing in my life, and there is nothing I can do about that one thing. And for someone who suffers from anxiety and has a need to control, because for me, my anxiety is a need to control, and my anxiety is about what I cannot control. That was kind of a release for me to just say, okay, everything else is going to be fine, and this one thing... I can't do anything about it and nothing after it really matters anyway, right? Well, who gets to ask this last question, number nine? I will. Okay. Would we really want to know how and exactly when you were going to die? Now, think about that before you answer. Initial thought, I say, well, yeah. But then I think I would spend my whole life counting yeah. down to that second, to would that it be, minute, Would to there be day. more anxiety if it says, okay, now you're going to have this type of cancer. Yeah. And well, it's going to be... And you say, okay, but I don't have to worry about it because that's going to be in uh, 2057. But you know, but what about in 2050? Exactly. And do you remember when I was younger, there was a thing, and it they were called like life clocks oh, yeah, or they're, something, they're, they're and they like around. actually counted down like an average lifespan, I guess. Of course, the, the comedians all and always did. What happens when the alarm goes off? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I have to quote another one of my favorites. It's from a movie. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's called big fish and it was a tim burton movie and it's actually it's worth a watch it's really interesting but one of the quotes was on the one hand if you knew when you were going to die you could live the rest of your life in fear of that moment trying to avoid it but on the other hand you would know in every other instance that she would survive Hmm. Mm, i guess that's i guess that's That's that kind of answers that question but me personally i I I don't think i'd want to know i mean what if you could find out today and you found it's tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) okay so with that thought we're going to close out segment one of episode 45 of god beyond the bible And welcome back, Seekers, to episode 45 of God Beyond the Bible. Today's topic is that age-old enemy we call death. Well, in the first segment, we more or less presented the certainty of death, as if we needed any statistics right. to, to affirm that. Uh, we're all going to face death, along with many of our loved ones along the way. That's a reality of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I is. mean, folks, if you're listening, oh, I can't, I can't think about that. I, it's... It doesn't matter whether you think about it or not. Right. 
But you know, something I'll say, and I'm only 29. I haven't lived nearly as long as a lot of people in this world <coughs> or in this, this room. room. Yeah. But I have realized that my fear of death has shrunk measurably the more people I've seen that I've known that have crossed over. You kind of start losing that fear because I do believe there's something after where we see and know these people again. And you kind of have that comfort level of there's somebody there that I know. Well, you know, Solomon said the dead know nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. see, that that goes back. They didn't really have a concept of afterlife. Right. I mean, resurrection was kind of presented by Jesus, wasn't it? I mean, yes. uh, they were just, you know, they, they they were struggling with this concept of, re- of, of, of resurrection. And uh, so, but let's just think about that for a moment. What you said, if there's nothing, is that something to fear? No. No. Is nothing something to fear? If there was, I mean, I, I personally believe there's afterlife. I, right, I think sure. I, I think we've got some pretty convincing evidence mm-hmm. that there's af- afterlife. But I'm just saying, if it wasn't, is that something to fear then? No, nothing. No. Do we fear nothing? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So in this second segment, we're going to ask just a few questions and explore our thoughts on this deeply feared yet natural process we call death. We're going to talk about quantity of life versus quality of life. What about that? Let's talk about that. Well, I mean, I, I, first, I personally would right. choose quality every time. We think we would. We think we would. Yes. But I had a friend of mine that was had cancer, and he uh, a fellow guitarist, and, and uh, he, he was going through cancer and stuff, and, gosh, it was awful. It was just that he'd had his jaw reconstructed and everything. Just He was in terrible shape. And one day, just barely able to talk, he said, I, I've come to the place. He said, I'm tired. I'm tired of the treatments. I'm tired of it. He mm-hmm. said, I've got to consider quality versus quantity. And I think when it's us, if we're talking about ourselves, we tend to say, okay, well, I want quality. But when we're talking about our parent or a spouse, we just don't want to, I mean, we, you know, it's that, it becomes yet. a quantity thing because we does. still want them here with us. Or I've been that way before. You don't want to see them suffer, but you don't want to let them go either. No. So what about, I know this is a really hard one, but what about assisted suicide? Do You know, that's playing God, right? Well, what about removing life support? Well, that's not playing God. That's mercy. Uh, now I know this is tough, and we, we shouldn't yes. take this lightly. Let's no. don't. Well, I'm not. I'm not joking. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I think. I guess that should just be a decision made by that person. I can't. I think so. I'm, I'm going to lay this on a little thicker. What do we do with one of our pets that's suffering? It, that's true. We let them go to sleep. <laughs> We do. I mean, we do. We put them. <laughs> we to assist sleep. them. Yes. I'm just making some statements here now, guys. But I know I'm going to get some real flack from our religious friends, from our Christian friends. I'm going to get some real flack. I'm just telling you what the reality of life. How we finally we cut the hairs. Things like remove the feeding tube, remove the life mm-hmm. support, all of this stuff, and then we when we when we come to the concept of assisting someone to and die let's, and let's suddenly that's that suddenly too. that's playing god when it when people talk about assisted suicide it is a terminal illness anyway that mm-hmm. person is inevitable yeah it ain't a person just because i went through a divorce exactly and i'm not saying <laughs> and i know what people i know the argument well god can intervene and miraculously yeah. heal them well he can do that i guess at any point but you know that's it's a real thing and i he could keep the suicide from working couldn't he i guess he could Mm-hmm. Just Absolutely. one more thing I failed at. 
<laughs> okay, uh, we're not making light no, of this. We we're just this, we want it, but we're trying. This is a deep, hard subject, and you have to use a little levity here. Uh, is it me? Mm-hmm. Will society someday come to the place that part of a person's last will and testament might be the conditions of which they would prefer their life to end? I think we're coming really close. Are we not to really this. there? Because we have these living wheels that we say, "Do not put me on the life support. Do not." Do not resuscitate yeah, me if my heart stops. D- no D- CPR. DNR. We used to when I was uh, in medical, you know, working with the medical crews and going on uh-huh. scenes. Uh, that's what we had to ask: Is there a DNR before mm-hmm. we ever did? Because, yeah. but a lot of people would have a DNR, and the family wouldn't know about it. Mm-hmm. So it did very little good. But do not resuscitate is what that means. But well, but we're we're pretty close to that right now, and I think we're really squeamish about all of this stuff. And we know, and I know cases that, of people that have these living wheels, and the family doesn't honor them. And that would be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard call because I think about if it were you or mom. And, of course, I would want to honor your wishes, especially with a living will. But I can also see the side of that being a really hard thing to make that decision. And so I wonder, I mean, is that maybe something that should be put in a doctor's hands where you go, okay, this is what they want. But, uh, yeah, and on the flip side of that, if somebody has it if you guys had a then that kind of takes the power out of my hands it does it does if if it's made known if you've made it known to mm -hmm. more than just one person you know if you've took you know copies of it and given to everybody or whatever okay so what about the guilt factor of those who carried out those wishes now we're not just talking about assisted suicide we're talking about the person who said i don't want to see him her own life support right they wouldn't want that. I had a guy call me. I'll tell you a personal experience. I was one of the first, probably the first church uh, pastor, I think it was, long years ago. And I got a call in the middle of the night, and it was a guy there that goes to church, and his dad was in the hospital. And, and they said, you know, your dad's had a heart attack, a massive heart attack. He, if we don't put him on life support, he's not going to live. What do you want us to do? He's he's We believe he's suffered brain, you know, all kinds of death. We don't know what the recovery will be. It's going to be up to you. Well, the son calls me. I'm his pastor, and he calls me and said, what do you think I ought to do? I said, well, I know you want me to be objective. I said, all I can tell you is two things. One, I know your dad pretty well. I don't think he wants to lay around here. He believes in a better place than this, mm-hmm. and I don't think he wants to lay around. And me personally, I don't think I would if it was me want to. But I said, I can't make that decision for you. You have to make that decision. About 10 minutes to call, I got a phone call. He said, well, I didn't have to make the decision because while we were talking, dad passed away. So, you know, wow. Yeah. yeah. Big relief there. Right. Okay, how big a role has medicine played in making death an easier process for those suffering and for the families of those suffering? I mean, let's let's give kudos, let's let's give honor where honor deserves. I mean, you know, guys, we've got we've got pain medications and medications mm-hmm. too, and we call it make them comfortable. Sure. So, well, we don't know what the but you know, I know when someone's in pain. Yes, absolutely. And when someone's suffering, and you know, I'm thankful. I mean, I say, I say, hey. Uh, put a needle in my arm. And, well, and I'm sure, particularly from your point give me, of view, give me your best, give me your best stuff. You as know. a pastor who's had to be there a All lot right. when someone yeah. passed away. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the unsung heroes because they really are. What about organizations that, even though they may be paid for their services, like hospice, they don't get paid enough. I don't. They think. do no. not. They help terminal patients and their families. And you know, they yeah. are. That is a 
a ministry what a all calling. in its own. Yes. It really is. And those people do have to be called to that. You couldn't do that. No. no. With the consistency because they just, I mean, the most they get to know a patient is as they're dying. So mm-hmm. they're losing all of their But And clients. you can see, the ones that I've met, you can see that love for every patient that they and encounter. The they thing. truly care. Sure. And it's not just for the patient. They minister or they help those families. Yes. They learn how to navigate the ropes of grief and mm-hmm. mourning and stuff. And and all the things that the families don't aren't thinking about. Exactly. In the impending yeah. death. Um do you find it difficult to visit those who have a terminal prognosis? I mean what do you say to that person and their family? I'm not good at this. And we're, and we're just going to add the next one. To, do yeah. you just avoid the situation and feel guilty later? What about those situations when it's someone very close to you and you're not going to be able to avoid that? I always feel like I never know what to say. And you always feel like you give them that pat answer. I'm praying for you. Um, and, and I am. Yeah, God's but got then, this. God's got and this. And you're like, like you, okay, that's not enough. It's you like know. you don't want to bring up the elephant in the room. Well, yeah. I've, I've learned I've learned that sometimes those people want to talk about that. Sometimes just listen. Sometimes they do want to talk about it. Because a lot of times I'll go, I've got to where if these days I say, is there anything you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. Anything that you need to say. Anything you'd like to well, talk and about. and I have always admired, you have a real knack at making people comfortable, you know, comfortable talking to them whether even if it's at a funeral people are sad but they're they're laughing you know well, it's it's but you have a well role. that's a calling in itself well, it's, too but it's, i'm not it's developed behavior too mm-hmm, i mean you know yeah. I've, I've observed uh i've observed but just avoiding the situation folks is not going and it's not helping the person that's that's suffering i mean maybe they want to see you i know of a recent deal where uh, uh a guy's dad died and the brother and one of the grandsons just wouldn't go because he said we don't want to remember him like that but what if we all took that and i understand that that's cool i'm not picking on anybody right. but what if we all did that then the the person dying would just lay there by themselves, by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. without any so i found it i ask him is there anything you want to talk about and then a lot of times i'll if it's somebody i know really well i'll say i'm going to talk to you like i would want you to talk to me in this situation yeah and then that's when i usually have anything you want to talk about how do you feel about this what's what's your what's what's going on here what do you think about all this and and i find out that uh, that uh, many times I get, you know, I get a lot of comfort because they're, they're ready. They're facing this situation and they, they know it's terminal. It's not yeah. like it's a secret that it's not like it's something to be. We can't talk about. Okay. So it might be good to think back on the times that you were in that such situation and what people did or said that brought you the most comfort. And you can use that experience to help others facing the same thing. I was talking to a lady here a while back who had, um, She's a customer of mine. She'd lost her husband about five or six years ago. And she said, one of the things that made me the most uncomfortable right after he passed away was when people wouldn't mention him when they'd come in. Like he didn't exist. Yeah. And she said, but one of the things that was the most comforting is people who would come in and kick back on the couch and they'd want to talk about him and this funny stuff he did and keep that memory alive. She said, the more I avoided admitting and talking about him not being there with me the harder I ached but once I came to the point where I would openly talk about him like he was in the next room Mm -hmm. she said I started to heal because I knew that what made him who he was was still out there right well and that brings us back coincides with topic on part eight often the grieving process makes us very uncomfortable 
Often that process begins before death when the loved one's terminal. Uh, yet experts tell us this is very impo- a very important process. We should not attempt to keep folks from grieving. Uh, and keeping in mind, everyone deals with uh, death differently. There's no rule book. There's no right or wrong way. Uh, what works for one may not work for another. But what about that? That's what you were talking about, the grieving process. Sometimes yeah. it makes us so uncomfortable. Oh, you don't just don't cry. It's going to be okay. <laughs> well, we should be saying, cry your heart out. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Let this go. Let this release because God, you know, God made us to cry for a reason. To well, really, I mean, there's such an intense emotional uh, experience that it brings a physical response. I mean, that's that's a relief valve, is it not? It is. And I can remember, you know, several times people that passed away in our church and dad would tell a spouse or whomever if you want to cry if you want to be by yourself if you want to visit you do this your way you know if there's people here and you need time alone go in the bedroom and shut the door or don't to- be yeah. or i've told them before tell these folks to go home yeah mm-hmm. you want to be alone absolutely oh, she is so rude he's so rude <laughs> yeah. we were there and asked us to leave you know because sometimes our presence can just be overwhelming too many people all of this going on and what usually happens two or three days all of this activity all this is going on the funeral happens boom everybody's gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe occasionally how you doing i thought i'd call you and see how yeah so do you think that hearing and watching <coughs> the near-death experiences of others helps it does for me. It did me. Oh, yeah. Big time. It, it good, folks. I recommend this. And you say, oh, I don't believe in that. I mean, listen to those people. Look in their eyes. They're telling us. Now, some of them, I think they belong to the order of the hoo-hoo. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to break that up. I listened to that episode again the other day. But, uh, no, some people, you know that they're giving some of those. And I'm thinking, yeah. you're, you're telling a big old story. And you, some of those people are. You can it just tell it raises the hair on the back of yeah. your neck. You can feel the and it does, and it makes it. you realize that maybe this transition thing because they weren't. Oh, I was feeling so, when they felt the pains when they came back. As yeah. I say, I've never <laughs> heard any of the near death experiences where they said, "I was just in such fear of this situation." It was always there was peace and love and comfort. Well, and I've grown to believe that you know. When I was pregnant with my first child, I was scared of the delivery part. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what to expect until you experience it. And by the time that I was in labor, I had such a peace. Yeah. There was no time for fear. And I feel like God does that. He gives us that peace. And if sure. he does it at those points in our life, then I have a feeling he does it at our death. Yeah, I can even, agree with that. More. And I think that's a great mm-hmm. thought to go ahead and close out segment two with. Welcome back, Seekers, to God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers for Seekers. Today's episode, number 45, is on a topic we probably prefer to ignore, yet we'll ultimately face it. It's called death. And uh, in this segment, we'd like to talk about the final arrangements for the deceased, the role of economics, and how funeral traditions are changing, and how many are opting for cremation over traditional embalming and burial? We're just going. We need to just talk about those things. Yeah, yes, Let's talk about it right now. Not not wait until somebody dies. 
Okay, so according to the NFDA, which is the National Funeral Directors Association. Could you trust those guys? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But according to an NFDA survey, while about 62% of Americans felt that it's important to make final arrangements and final wishes known to their loved ones, only about 21% of us actually ever make those final arrangements or talk to our loved ones about our desires. The most quoted reason? It's just not a priority and it is too expensive. I have been having this conversation recently with someone in my husband's family Uh um, because in our family, we're pretty open about what we want our final wishes to be. And so I I actually brought this up and we were discussing it. And the answer was, okay, if you're going to make me, I'll discuss this with you, but don't you dare bring it up at Thanksgiving. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, but I mean, it's true because it's not great dinner conversation it's a hard topic to bring up and discuss and go through and what about that it's just too expensive i mean is that going to keep me from dying no (laughs) okay so we've all seen the ads guys the average funeral is over eight thousand dollars i I told one a while ago i just saw one and it was eight thousand five hundred and eight dollars i said it's going up eight dollars since last month anyway well and i would bet that that is for a very basic and it is minimal and the price tag just goes up more every year of course we hear that just before they try to sell us a policy yeah, for finally yeah. it's always, it's always, always it's yeah. going up and up <laughs> and it's reported that since 1986 the cost of a funeral has increased by 230 percent wow. so the question is what's driving the increase i don't think it's all expense I don't no, think, no. I don't think, and I mean, let's just be really honest. Now, I've got friends in the funeral business, and I'm like, now listen, folks, 230%, nothing else has gone up that much. Supply and demand, right? I mean, well, when you die, yeah. there this has, is you one feel like service, you have to do this. This is one service that every person will have to use at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily. All right. But at least the way we're, that yeah. we're trained to believe. Well, what do we do? That that's what the you time do. to start thinking about it is not after someone just died because now you you're locked in to what you're going to have to do yes. you're going uh-huh. to go, you've got a limited amount of time you've got to get a funeral home you've got exactly. to get this done and not to mention emotions are running rampant of, at this point of course you know. but i'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys about a couple of funerals that i did for one family and the guy built the box himself and he built it for him and for his wife he ended up having to use one of them for his mother-in-law and one for his wife that died mm-hmm. before he did he actually, you have to pay for a death certificate, which is $10 per certificate. Mm-hmm. And if you get that body in the ground within 24 hours, there's nothing but the digging of the grave. Really? Well, you're not really told that, are you? Uh, well, you're not going to hear You're not going to hear a funeral. But who can do that? Who's got that prepared out? Who's already got the casket? I'm right. just saying there is options. Sure. He buried, he, he had the grave dug. I think it cost him about 150 bucks to get somebody to dig the grave. I think that's about 400 or 500 now just to get mm. a grave dug. I think it cost him about $150 to get the grave dug, $10 for the death certificate, uh, put her in the box, lowered her in the ground, got her covered, and then we had a gravesite. It was already covered and done when we had the funeral service. Wow. Just put them in the ground and then went to that site. And ha- I'm just saying, there are ways there to are, avoid are there this. Options? There are ways. Okay. Uh, while you couldn't pay most of us enough to engage in the career dealing with death on a daily basis, it seems that there is a state price to be paid for those who are willing. But uh, what can we do if we can't afford to die? <laughs> well, it's true. And honestly, a huge thank you to the people who do dedicate their lives sure, to sure, dealing sure. with. Because yeah, that's imagine. not something I got a friend. I, I got do. a friend here in the county. He's the coroner. And he just sees the most more. I c- that's not the life I want. No. no. 
It's to just deal in death. And if I think of, uh, put a little lighter note on it, you know, remember the episode of Andy Griffith where he said, well, you know, Andy told Barney, he said, Barney, you know, you're worried about that money that the government's taking. said, you can't take it with you. He said, yeah, but the way it's going, I may not be able to go myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's talk about cremation. It's an option that's been around a long time, but due to the rising cost of traditional funerals, since about 2015, those opting for cremations has surpassed those having traditional funerals. And you may find it hard to believe, but in this same time period, <laughs> the price of cremation has gone from under $1,000 to upwards of $2,500. Why do you think that is? Supply and demand. It's it is. Demand because it's cheaper than the funeral. So yeah. they're, they're right. I mean, let's just be honest, folks. Mm -hmm. They're raising the price well, of the cremation up to where you're going to pay, pay, Pay. There are other things that I never really realized with cremation that some funeral homes in largely populated cities are really pushing cremation now because I had never thought of this, but cemeteries are feel, filling up and That's there's not true. space Have you ever gave this more. thought? There are, at this moment, there are what, between seven and eight billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Billion mm -hmm. on the planet. If everyone was buried in a traditional plot or grave, now some countries don't do that at all because of space. Yes. Pretty soon, the earth would be one big cemetery, would it not? Absolutely. I mean, think about it. So one may ask the question, what are the religious implications involved in cremation? I get asked this a lot. And are there any? Our Christian faith seems to imply that once this body has served its purpose, it is designed to return to the earth and will receive a new and glorified body. That's mm -hmm. what Paul said that right, was going to happen. Right. But some people will argue that in some places our English Bible is translated to say that the graves will open and these bodies will be resurrected. So we're supposed to be traditionally buried. But realistically, even under the best preservation conditions, what happens to our bodies? Well, then one might ask, what Dust if the person... in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> what if the people whose bodies are never recovered that are destroyed in fires, crashes, and wars, and bombings, how many were never found in the 911... 9-11 incident. Yeah. I think there were even some that weren't found in the Edward Murrell building in Oklahoma City, right? Mm -hmm. Well, There were some that were never recovered. This got me started yeah. on the Google. Okay. And so I started going through, and because I never really realized that there were so many Christian groups that were against cremation. Okay. So I pulled up a thing on the Gospel Coalition's website, just so everyone knows where I'm reading this, and I really highly disagree with this, but I think it's a pretty clear answer to the opposite side of this debate. Okay. It says, the question is whether burial is a Christian act and what it communicates. Of course, God can resurrect a cremated Christian or one buried, burned at the stake, ripped apart by lions in a coliseum, or eaten by a shark off the coast of Florida. But are funerals simply the way we dispose of remains? If they are, then why bother with a graveyard? Why not just send them off to the landfill? Christians are not disposing of a thing, shell, or husk. It's caring for a person. The body belongs to a person who will one day reclaim it. I got a feeling a funeral director, <laughs> a funeral home I just owner. Just one day reclaim it. That's what it said, would one day reclaim it, and I could not make any sense out of that. Huh. I'm just going to tell you something. Uh... If God wants to, he can knows every atom of where mm -hmm. everything is mm -hmm. if he needs to, to bring it back. But I just, I'm not so of I the impression. So I guess what they're saying is that you need to just make it easier for God. 
Because he can reconstruct the body. I know. I said they started out saying, we know God can't, but this is, and you know, what well, we're good. That's a psychological statement they're making. Well, why don't you just throw your loved one in the trash? If it you is. care about them. Yeah. Well, if that's, you truly that's, cared that's about the very, them. That's the very tactic that yeah. that was trying it to is, sell you something. That just blew my use. mind, and I wanted to share that because it, um, we should note that in many ways, the traditional funeral with the presence of the body may even be more difficult on the family than a memorial service that doesn't follow tradition. I will say, I'm one of those people, I do not look at the body in the casket when I'm walking by. I don't want that to be the last memory you have of someone that you cared about. I can agree with that. And I think it's refreshing to see that many people are getting creative with memorials, and they're bypassing a lot of the expense and the religious implications of using a specified building, such as a church or a funeral chapel. And I want to just tell you guys something. You check into this. Everything you have that funeral home to do costs you bucks. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you use their chapel, it costs you bucks. Mm -hmm. If you have them transport the body to the church, it costs you bucks. Uh one of the cheapest way to have a funeral right now, I'm telling you from experience, uh, not my own, but, others, <laughs> but it is my experience with other, is that to have a graveside ceremony and, you know, you're going to dig the grave. If you want to pay to have them set up that little thing over your head, if not, have a graveside ceremony and... Yeah. Well, and it would be kind of neat to see how we evolved because, I mean, we've always, in early... American history, world history. Didn't they have wakes or something where they set the body up inside the house? I did. That I, was mostly to see if they woke up, though, you know, right? I didn't. Oh, to yeah. make sure they were really. It was called a wake. But I, did, I didn't point out earlier, but you know, in Jesus' day, remember where Jesus went in to heal the little girl and mm-hmm. the yes. mourners were all there? Did you know that it was tradition in that time to pay people to mourn? You would, yes, I read. They yeah. were hired. You hired mourners. You had people they to wail and to. cry and do all that. You were a professional mourner. How would you like to have that for you? What are you? Just, I'm a professional mourner. <laughs> Life is so bad. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean. But not just, I I'm guess not my laughing, question is, it's, though, it's, where, did we move, where did we move from just putting the body in the ground to having this service in the chapel and then going to the graveside and then, well, you know, cause we just keep it's a milking really it out making it go, bigger and yeah, bigger. Longer yeah. and longer. I, I actually learned this was in my study for this because I was reading with those with wakes and things like that. Typically you had a family cemetery, which was out on some part of the farm uh-huh. out in the back corner where the bodies of the family would be put. And a lot of it started changing over when, Churches started coming up with these things called graveyards, right? Which were consecrated, blessed ground adjacent to a church. And let's oh. be honest, there again, Where I'm not picking paid. on my, I'm not picking on my Catholic friends. Yes, but they started this, and if you were to be buried in the sacred ground, mm-hmm. if they want to, if they, in their opinion, that was good, you were going to go to hell. If they buried you outside, they made you be buried somewhere else. That was slander on you and your family. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. They wouldn't let you be buried. Tabitha, you're seven before we... Okay. Complain. So one might point out that as the baby boomers enter this process, we're going to see the greatest influx of people needing an exit plan in the history of the U.S. I mean, think about but that. that's true. My generation, the Generation X, we barely replaced ourselves. Right. Yeah. The baby boomer, boomers, the average family was four, five children. Mm-hmm. Now think about that. They're all... In their 60s and 70s now, what's that going to do? 
I never really thought about it, but that's I true. So this mommy, I'm sure time, if you're a baby boomer thinking about it, you're glad to hear that. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm, we're just talking about the economics of this whole thing. And so <laughs> this might be just the time for a new approach to an age-old problem. And huh? I think if every other industry is changing and evolving, it's only fair to say that the funeral industry will. Yeah, well. I don't know how we're going to do this. I know that I know that right now this thing with the cremation thing and it has become, you know, you think over 50% now. I think someone well, just told me. I read 46%, but you know, half of the people right now are being cremated. We don't even have enough crematories. Some of these crematories are running day and night. I know there's one here in Arkansas that runs 24 hours a day, day and night, and they can't stay up. You know that yeah. after you're cremated for another $800, you can be shot into space? I just thought I'd share that with everybody as an option. Okay, but that's really getting the price back up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're ready to conclude. I think we better. As so. a pastor, I've officiated dozens, if not hundreds, of final services for a lot of families. While I have a lot of friends who serve in the funeral business uh, who truly care for the grieving families, the truth is, this become big business. Yes. And as far as advice on dealing with death, I myself found it beneficial to acknowledge my own mortality. And as weird as it sounds, to embrace it. Death is very natural. I was inspired to do this episode. Actually, I was removing the plants from my garden following an early October frost that we had a couple of weeks ago. Those plants did exactly what God designed them to do. They grew. They made vegetables right up until the day the season overtook them. When we come to grips with our own mortality and the certainty of death, I think we'll live a life much much fuller. Uh, We can develop an attitude of living in the moment and not always living for some time in the future. Perhaps it's time for a new approach to death. Possibly families should have pre-arrangement parties. I mean, kind of like Tupperware. <laughs> I mean, I'm but not... it's an idea where you could just yeah, get everything I mean... out there for everyone at once. And we time. could talk about it. And we could make jokes about it up till right. the person dies. We could laugh yeah. about it. It's like, you're really going to be buried in blue shoes. That's that's that's, that's, what that's, you're, that's the what song you're... you want. You want another one bites the dust. Play. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Wouldn't that be cool? It would. Be, if we to could, make if it we more could do open. that, yeah. Uh, so with a festive atmosphere, we talk openly about our departure and our wishes and yes, how the expense will be met. Mm -hmm. That's the one we really don't want to talk about. Right. And remember funerals are really about profits and the amount you spend on a deceased loved one is not an indicator of how much you love them or how important their life was to you. One more thing as a believer, I think we'll find that once we make the transition, we spend way too much time worrying about and being anxious about death. God has it figured out. If he doesn't, no one does. According to those who knew his mission, his mission best, that our Lord Jesus conquered death. And he did it in a very public way so that we may know he has it covered. And with that said, until next time, as always, God's grace, peace, and love on each of you from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.